So Paul says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles, or my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even Thessalonica, you sent me help even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our Father, to our God, our Father, and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I think when I was 11 years old, I, I wanted to be a superhero. And I wanted to um, fight injustice. So I asked my mum to make me a mask, and she made me a denim mask. And my idea was to cycle around this park in Ipswich and look for anybody who was experiencing injustice. And I would cycle around on my uh, Italian red bike looking for issues that I... I don't know what I was going to do if I found any, but my, <laughs> my plan was I was going to step in and I'm, I'm looking out for injustice. My first mission, I'm cycling around, and uh, these two girls who were in the year above me, I think they were in year six, saw me and said, take your mask off. And I, and I knew that you do not take your mask off when you're a superhero because your, your secret identity is everything. They proceeded me to, to grab me, take me off my bike and wrestled and take, took my mask off. And, and, they, and they said, that's Jamie. And then on Monday morning, they laughed at me and said, there he is, the guy who had the mask. And uh, so that was my only foray into being a superhero. And the reason I tell you that story is that contentment and inner satisfaction, along with things like hope and joy, are, are like super, superpowers for superheroes. That contentment is something that can make you unstoppable. That a culture of contentment, of inner satisfaction, because of connection to Christ, can make you persistent, consistent and resistant. Is something that can make you unstoppable. And the Apostle Paul, really, uh, I guess, after Jesus, is the most visionary, unstoppable man in, in Scripture. He's the kind of guy who says, I am content. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied, I'm content if I'm a millionaire. And I'm satisfied and content 
if you took everything away from me and I had nothing. I'm content and satisfied if everybody loves me and I'm doing brilliant and everything I'm touching is turning to gold and I'm satisfied and content if people look at me and don't like me and don't think I'm successful and call me a failure. He says I can be content in everything I do. I'm not a victim of any circumstance. I'm not a victim of success. I'm not a victim of failure. I'm not a victim of the unplanned place or the unplanned pace. Nothing can make me respond negatively. I'm I'm not a victim of delay and I'm not a victim of success. This guy is absolutely unstoppable because of the culture of his heart, which is, I am satisfied, and his connection to Christ, who strengthens him. Contentment is a powerhouse. And I want to just look at five lessons that we can glean from these verses, five lessons that Paul learned about how to be content. How many of you want that kind of contentment that you see in in Paul? And the wonderful thing is it is available to every one of us. Because Paul says, I learnt, I learnt. I'm not speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I love the fact he says, I learnt. He doesn't say, well, I just had a personality that was that kind of personality. I was just a naturally content kind of guy. Or, that's my genetics, I, I, I caught contentment from mum or dad, from our family, we were just a content kind of family. He doesn't say that, he says, actually, I learned, I learned contentment, I learned the secret of being able to face plenty and face need, to face abundance and to be able to face lack. He says, I've learned the secret, I've learned the recipe, I learned the recipe. There's a recipe that we can learn. And that we might be those people at the moment who are thinking, my inner world is not satisfied, I'm not content. And Paul would say to us through this, you can learn the secret. You can learn the secret of being content. And it's wonderful to know that God uses process and God uses steady steps. And I think with God, there are the sudden moments we get and we understand, and we see, and we come into something. But there's also the process that God takes us through to teach us something. And it's like Paul went to Jesus' school of contentment and enrolled into the school of Christ. Or to use the language of Hebrews 12, it's like God took Paul into his gymnasium and said, I know you've got some muscles that you need to work on. You've got some areas where I want to strengthen you up. So I'm going to use everything and I'm going to waste nothing. I'm going to prepare you and I'm going to develop in you the capacity to face everything and face it with inner satisfaction and inner contentment. And so Paul went on a journey and went on a process of being taught by God in God's school how to be content. And sometimes it was a difficult process. And Pete, when he was talking about faith, said, the lesson is more important than the source. That sometimes we can get caught up with wondering, is this, is this from God or is this from the devil? Um, and, and rebuking stuff. Where actually we could ask the question, there's an opportunity in this. There's an opportunity to be taught in this. 
And we're not saying, and I'm not saying that sickness is from God, because we oppose sickness as something that came in through the fall. We oppose it and we are fully convinced and fully persuaded that God's will is always to heal. And yet in the middle of sickness, there's a redemptive opportunity in the process of saying today is a good day for a miracle, there's an opportunity also for God to redeem it and God to bring out something good in it, even if this day we're not healed, we can say every day God's will is to heal me, God's will is to bring a breakthrough. And so Paul sometimes went through really difficult circumstances in this school of learning how to be satisfied from within, learning how to be content. He learned through prison. He learned through shipwreck. He learned through beating. He learned through rejection. He learned through his goals being blocked. He learned through the pressure of all the churches. And he says in Corinthians, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of what we went through and what we suffered in the province of Asia. He says it was so hard and so tough and so difficult that we despaired even of our very lives. That there was such pressure on us, we felt that it would be better to die than carry on. And then he says, but this happened so that, here's the lesson, so that we would not depend on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, but but in this moment the redemption was an opportunity to learn something in the midst of life that we possibly could never have learned any other way. That God can raise the dead, that God can raise us up, that God's grace is sufficient, that Christ's strength in the midst of pressure, in the midst of setback, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, in the midst of being misunderstood, That God's strength is a strength that can literally raise you up like he raises the dead. That God uses everything. God wastes nothing. Romans 8.28 He works everything together for good. And so in this school, in this first lesson, we can say whatever's facing me right now, whatever I'm facing right now, whether I'm facing abundance and my got plenty or unfacing lack or delay or the unplanned place or the unplanned pace we can say in this moment is an opportunity for me to know contentment and inner satisfaction so that I'm not a victim of what goes on around me that James talks about it count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds (laughs) and he talks about how Testing can make us perfect, lacking nothing. Again, that kind of upgrade, that, that, that strengthening of our inner being. I love what Graham Cook says, that if someone rings you and says, how are you doing? You should say, you won't believe it. I've got a trial at the moment. Wow, lucky you. I wish I had one. What's God doing? What's he upgrading? What's he strengthening? What's he developing? What's he producing in you, lucky you? (laughs) I've got a little file on my phone called Upgrades. And I love, every time there's a difficulty, a perplexity, uh, something challenging, to ask, what's the upgrade? 
What's the upgrade? If you want a prophetic word, get a trial and ask God what the upgrade is. I've got 660 in three years. And it's, I can track a whole area of personal growth through challenge. It's really worth keeping a diary and a record of everything God does. What are you doing in the midst of this disappointment? Because I want to learn how to be content and how to be satisfied and go on a journey in God's school, God's gymnasium. So that's the first lesson. We can learn the secret. We can learn the recipe. It's not about personality. It's about God who's very happy to teach us on the journey. Lesson two. And we know this, but it's so easy to fall into this trap. We are not made content or satisfied by what we get, what we have, how we perform, what people think, how we're doing, how fruitful we are. How many of us have fallen into the trap of thinking, I'll be satisfied when? I'll be content when? I'll be content when I've got a when I've got a breakthrough in this area of my personality or character. I'll be content when all the people in my life are doing what I would love them to do. I'll be content when my bank balance is here and not here. I'll be content, this is a big one for church leaders, when my church is this big. I'll be content when my ministry is this or when I'm recognised for that. I'll be content when this dream is fulfilled or when this dream comes true. And to quote Steve Backham, it's like we suffer from destination disease. Contentment and satisfaction is always just out of reach. And he says about joy, if I can't be joyful now, it's unlikely I'll be joyful then. Because it's going to be me in that. And if I'm an Eeyore now... I'm unlikely to be a tigger then. <laughs> I love this, this TED talk. This lady said this. My Swiss cheese soul cannot be filled outside in. It has to be filled inside out. <laughs> and, and that's the whole of our culture. Believes the lie that what I need is going to happen to me. And Paul says... I love the fact that you expressed generosity to me. I love the fact that you thought about me. I love the fact that you were willing to give this gift to me. And then he says this kind of perplexing thing. I'm not speaking of being in need. <laughs> but, but clearly a need has been met. Something's been met because he needs food, resources... In order to do ministry. But I'm not telling you that I had a need. In other words, my mind and my heart and my soul and my inner world were already at ease. They were already at ease. It's not that I was uncomfortable, struggling, broken inside, and you remembered me and you gave a gift, and then I suddenly came alive. He said, No, actually, I had no need of that. I was already content and satisfied whether you remembered me or didn't remember me, but I'm so grateful that you did remember me. And he doesn't do it through some kind of stoical, British teeth, white knuckle determination, I will be content, I will be content. 
It was through reliance and dependence and drawing upon the person who is within him. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The all things is I can be content in everything through the person who has taken up residence in me. I have learnt the secret, the recipe of drawing on him whatever's happening and whatever I'm facing. I know how to tap into him and who he is. Lesson three, contentment does not mean that you have no dreams, no expectancy, no vision. Because there's a, there's a false understanding that the contented are kind of passive and unaware. They're kind of so laid back they don't notice anything. And that visionaries and futurists and the prophetic almost grab hold of discontentment as a powerhouse to keep them on their toes and to keep them alert. But to be content and to be satisfied also means that you can have huge, huge dreams in God. That you're able to look at an area of society, an area of culture, an area of your own heart, your area of your family and resources and have huge dreams that God's abundance can break into them and bring radical shift and change through you into those things. And so Paul says, I learned the secret of facing plenty. And Pete again on that that, that talk on faith said, most people do well facing lack, hunger, difficulty, but struggle when they, their, their, their hands are full and they've got abundance. And Paul is saying, I can do that as well through Christ. When every dream I've got is being fulfilled or over the place and everything that's on my dream list is happening, I can, fa- I can do that too. And even that won't distract me from the source of my satisfaction, Christ. So I can live with huge expectation. I can live with huge anticipation. I can live with purpose, abundant supply, and you know what? I won't trust any of them. But I will draw on Christ and allow Christ in me to enhance my enjoyment of everything. It's an amazing thing. So I won't be broken by lack, but I won't be broken by abundance either. I can handle both and recognise that in both I'm drawing on Christ who strengthens me. Lesson four. Fruitfulness is because of identity. It is Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, I can be fruitful in any and every circumstance. I can be fruitful in prison. I can be fruitful in the mission field. I can be fruitful when I'm liked and I can be fruitful when I'm not liked because fruitful has nothing to do with opportunities, has nothing to do with resources, has nothing to do with public opinion, but has everything to do with my identity, who I am and who Christ is in me. It's an amazing thing. This is what makes the Apostle Paul absolutely unstoppable. This is what the invitation is for the believer, that we can become absolutely unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. I can be content and satisfied when I'm in a church and it feels like a dry old stick and I know he's asked me to be there. 
Yeah? I can have life in Christ. That I can handle this well. That I won't get irritated. I won't get angry. I won't manipulate. I won't look for to control. I can be fruitful in that, even when I'm surrounded by circumstances that are difficult and challenging. I can be fruitful and content and satisfied when I'm the only believer in my family. And I'm the only one who knows him and everybody else laughs. I can be content. I can be satisfied. I can be content and I can be satisfied when the longing to see breakthrough and salvation in the church hasn't reached us yet. So Paul is saying, I am satisfied because of my identity. That it's impossible, it's impossible to enjoy God on the inside and for that not to manifest on the outside. Absolutely impossible. It's impossible to have a culture of inner satisfaction and contentment and for that to not eventually touch and shift and change and influence everything around you. That everything flows out of heart connection and drawing upon Christ who's in you. Everything, every breakthrough, every manifestation of the kingdom, every capacity to keep going, to be persistent, to be consistent, to be resistant in every situation and circumstance. We can be people who can say, nothing can hinder me, nothing can block me, nothing can stop me. I will be fruitful in every place I go. I've got expectation of God. I believe him. We can be those who live the Psalm 1 verse 3. I am a tree that is planted by streams of water. I bear fruit in season and my leaf is always green. Love what Spurgeon says about that. He says streams. There's more than one. <laughs> Not saying there's more than one Holy Spirit, but there's an abundant supply that nothing can dry out. The picture's saying, look, if it's, if, it's a, if it's arid times and dry times, I've got another stream. <laughs> I've got another stream. I can be fruitful in all situations. Success can't distract me. And delay can't dry me out. Success is not going to take me off course. Nor is delay going to dry me out. Because I'm a tree that's planted by streams of water. I know how to put my roots deep, deep down into the source. I'm going to bear fruit that abides. Fruit that lasts. He's preparing me. He's getting me ready. That we see that in the Old Testament with Joseph. That Joseph has a dream, has a prophetic calling. And Joseph is a leader. And Joseph is a leader wherever you put Joseph. Joseph is a leader because of identity. He's a leader when he gets sold to Potiphar. He becomes a leader of slaves. Okay, you accuse him and you throw him into prison. He becomes a leader of prisoners. You elevate him and place him next to Pharaoh, he becomes a leader of the whole of Egypt. Because wherever you place him, his identity is, I'm a leader. I know who God has called me to be. I know the dreams that I have. 
I'm not going to tell God how to work it out. I'm not going to put God in a box and tell God, this is how you have to do it. This is when you have to do it by, and this is how it looks like. And Dan so rounds that illustration off by saying, I would make a better God than you. <laughs> Joseph keeps his heart in a place of, he must have kept his heart in a place of, I am content and I am satisfied and I am a tree planted by streams of water, even before I read Psalm 1. <laughs> Paul says to Timothy, in Timothy 1 Timothy 1.18, Fight the good fight according to what? The prophecies that are made about you. Fight the good fight according to what? The assessment of heaven. It's easy to be distracted by lack or resources or opportunities. Or who's going to open a door for me? Who's going to recognise me? No, fight according to this is who God says I am. This is who God says I am. This is the assessment of heaven. This is who I am right now. And I'm going to be that right now, right here, in these circumstances, in this situation. Regardless of what's going on and what it looks like. And I'll still be, in the moment of success, drawing on him too. Because my identity is I'm a much-loved son or daughter who's strengthened by the reality of Christ in me. And finally, Paul practices gratitude. Practices gratitude. It's the things we practice that can change us. That we might have an agreement that yeah, gratitude and rejoicing is a good thing, but do we practice gratitude? Do we practice rejoicing? And Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now you've revived your concern for me. That gratitude is the capacity to notice things. To, to notice things, to spot the ordinary things. In our church at the moment, in our group, we're doing a um, gratitude photography project. It's where you take a picture of the simple, ordinary things that you would normally forget. You take a picture of them, you make a collage of them, and we're all going to present our gratitude weeks to one another. I seem to, I seem to have a lot of food in my gratitude week. First thing I Gratitude for the simple moments. Wake up in the morning, take a picture of that coffee machine that's got a timer on it. It made it for me. Gratitude for that cup of coffee. Gratitude for your husband or your wife or your children. Gratitude for this special, ordinary moment that you would just ordinarily forget. That, that, that contentment and satisfaction and joy are actually found in the most ordinary things. That life is actually made up of a whole array of ordinary things. I have a daily declaration that says, I'm not going to miss joy today by chasing down the extraordinary. We sometimes think joy is this, this amazing moment. No, joy is waking up. Going downstairs, having a coffee, opening the Bible, opening your journal, spending a special time with your husband or wife, or walking your kids to school, or wherever it might be, snap them, just get your phone out and take loads of them and share them with one another. So Paul says, I noticed. 
But he also, I love the fact that he says, you revived your concern for me, you were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. You know, you can just feel, you know, if your heart isn't in a good place, you might just find a little sneaky (laughs) jab there. There's no suspicion with Paul. Now, this is your opportunity. You didn't forget me. I'm just so grateful and so thankful and so satisfied and content. He's also content for what's credited to their account. Not that I have need. I'm just really excited for your maturity that you remembered me, you gave this gift to me. Now that's being credited to your account. And now may my God supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. See, the ultimate joy is to be able to say, may my God. Not the theoretical knowledge of there's a God who supplies, or the theoretical knowledge there's a God who can make you content, but he's now my God. Because we've walked together We've been together. I've been taught and schooled. I've been to his loving gymnasium where he redeemed everything. Where he caused me in my life, in my testimony, to know him as my God. What we're going to do to finish is we're going to laugh at some lies. And if you were a Steve Buckley's thing, you already got used to, to laughing at things. And laughing at lies comes from Psalm 2 where it says that God laughed at what his enemies were saying and what his enemies were planning. And laughing at lies is one of the great ways to ignite joy, ignite hope, give us a greater perspective. As Steve Backlund says, to laugh at something, you have to let go. <laughs> okay? So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to nick from Steve Backlund what he would say is, laugh a little louder and harder than you were planning to. Okay? <laughs> So many of us are probably, most of us are in maybe smaller charities or we're parts of churches that maybe are smaller churches. And uh, we're going to laugh at some lies around this lie, which is, if my ministry does not not appear successful, then it is not. (laughs) Okay? And God's breaking off stuff as we're laughing, okay? <laughs> Without current outward success in ministry, I am a failure in my calling. <laughs> oh. Those who plant and water are not successful, but those who reap harvests are very successful. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Steve Backlund goes on in this chapter to say be, be sowing focused be watering focused not harvest focused because growth belongs to God Okay, so that's one way of guarding our hearts in contentment this is a good one Noah was a failure until the flood validated his ark ministry <laughs> <laughs> heaven is pleased the moment you say yes the moment you agree with God Noah pleased God the moment he had the faith to start the project the rain was really dependent on God 
If my ministry has unresolved issues, it has obviously failed. <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> it's like thanks, thanks. Hear it. <laughs> thanks for coming and making my day. <laughs> My obedience to God is unsuccessful unless people celebrate me. (laughs) In the Bible, God waited for people to approve someone before he did. I'm going to finish with this, with this a dream I had a couple of, a month ago. I'm in South East London, it's an urban concrete area, and I'm, I'm on my bike, which is what I enjoy to do. I come across a walnut tree that is growing ripe walnuts, they're on the floor, they're in the tree, and I thought this, there is no reason in the world a walnut tree would grow in South East London here. It has no business being here. I then see a, 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 a vicious dog running towards me, snarling and barking, followed by three others. I panic, I jump on my bike, the big one grabs my hand and grabs my foot and I can't cycle away and I wake up. I said, God, what was the dream? He said, the dream was this, hope, joy and peace and life and contentment and satisfaction really I have no real business being sometimes in this world full of difficulties and challenges, and yet it's available and it can grow up in the human heart. But the enemy will come out and sometimes bark and froth and try and intimidate you to run away from joy, to run away from hope, and to run away from peace. But did you notice that when he bit your hand and he bit your foot, you felt nothing? Because he's got a big bark but no bite. And that the key for the mature believer is the capacity, not saying the dogs are always going to come out, because I think that's strange if everything we enjoy and have hope and peace and contentment and has barking dogs around. That, that's, that's not the normal Christian life. But it is sometimes that we have challenging days and that there's sometimes the dogs come out and they do bark. Particularly when we're entering into something that is brand new for us. Particularly when we've decided to change our mind about something and choose joy or choose hope and choose contentment. Initially, the dogs come out. They don't always come out because they they don't want to come out and bark at you for no reason when they know you're going to ignore them. That maturity is the capacity, particularly in the beginning, to choose joy, to choose hope, to choose contentment, and not to get on your bike and cycle away, and, and, and not to fear. So I'm just going to say, that, just going to pray over us, that these are moments of decision, and moments of decision. So although I do totally believe in the, in the process of transformation, I do believe in the suddenly too. And I do believe that breakthrough comes in the moment of agreement with God, in the moment of trust. It's in the moment where you say, I choose to trust God about, for example, will my ministry ever be noticed? That you choose to trust, no, God, you are the one who opens a door for me that no man can close. I've got peace now on that. 
is in the moment of trust. So we say, God, we're going to be people who enjoy the fruit of the kingdom. And we're going to be people of joy. And we're going to be people of hope. And we're going to be people who are satisfied and contented. And God, we choose to believe the truth that you are bigger than the bark. And I will not get on my bike and try and cycle away. I choose to stand in this place of joy, peace and contentment. I'm going nowhere. I'm trusting you. And so God, we say we're going to be those who stand firm. And that some days the best we can do is we just stand firm and other days we move forward. And so God, we choose to enjoy the fruit. And we just say over any here, just if you're the only believer in your family, that God right now would strengthen you in your inner being and that draw on Christ. He knows. He knows about your family and he knows about the people around you. And if you are in situations or church circumstances where you think, I feel just isolated and lonely. God just says, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well. Stand firm. It's impossible to enjoy me on the inside and for that not to manifest on the outside. Believe God on that. Be sure of your identity. Yeah. And just speak one last thing. On long-term areas where you've not seen breakthrough, even on things like um, depression, and you think, how can I be content? I'm, I'm wrestling with that. We just declare over you, today is a good day for a miracle. We just speak to heads right now, and we release the reality of heaven over you. We say breakthrough, the way synapses work. We release, as it were, the electricity of heaven to come into your brains and to do rewiring in the name of Jesus. We just break off any lie that says, I could never be satisfied, I could never be content until I see a breakthrough on that. And God just says, choose today to trust me. Choose today, even in this moment, to choose contentment and joy and satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah, just speak hope over you. There is a way. There is a way. Yeah. There is a way. Yeah, we just speak to the chemicals in brains. We say, be realigned in Jesus' name. Just speak to hope. Let hope arise. Let the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may overflow hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That joy and peace comes in the moment of believing, in the moment of trusting, in the moment of surrender, in the moment of leaving. Thank you so much.